RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 409 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse. Recorded live on Tuesday, April 16th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, April 19th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Jake. Hey, Jake, it's so good to have you on the show filling in for Anthony. Thanks for stopping in. Thanks for having me. Now, for those of you who may not be aware, Jake works significantly behind the scenes of Priority One Podcast to make sure that we can continue to produce this show from week to week. He writes several of our segments uh, and acts as a producer on making sure that the content is ready for Tuesday night's recording. So uh, he also joined me a few years ago with Jordan Hoffman on the Engage podcast, the at the time official Star Trek podcast. So Jake, thanks for thanks for filling in for Anthony this week. Again, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? Well, this week we're checking out the return of the USS Enterprise bridge sets with production designer Tamara Deverell, Rebecca Romaine, and Anthony Rapp. Later, we're heading back to the Ready Room, this time with Michelle Paradise, and then maybe we'll take a stroll down Crosby Street. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, we now have details on the next featured TFO, Operation Repost, and how you can earn a free Tier 6 starship from the Zen Store. Our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, is here talking about the newly discovered black hole in his astrometrics report. And in our on-screen segment, we're discussing part one of the Star Trek Discovery season two finale, Such Sweet Sorrow. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes. So please, reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash priority1podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at priority1pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at priority1podcast.com. Now, before we move on, we do have to take a moment to thank our patrons, listeners who provide a financial contribution to the show every month. For those of you unaware, Patreon allows listeners like you to help support shows like ours. With your help, we can continue to produce the quality content you've come to expect from week to week. Remember, it's just monthly, not weekly, not daily. Your choice of payment gets charged once a month, and it can range from anything to a dollar and up. And to help show you our gratitude for your contributions, we have several tiers of perks. For instance, at $5, you can join us in a Google Hangouts chat to talk about the latest Star Trek headlines or the latest episode of things like Discovery. At $10, you can get an entirely unedited, unscripted podcast titled After Hours, where we dive very deep and often passionately in our reviews of Star Trek Discovery or other television series. So be sure to check us out over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. 
And finally, if you happen to be in the Washington, D.C. area for AwesomeCon next weekend, please go and support our sister show, Women at Warp. Sue and Jarrah will be attending Friday through Sunday, April 26th through 28th, and they'll be appearing on a few panels as well. Jarrah will be on a panel called Not Your Manic Pixie Dream Girl, looking at new roles for women in genre media. And she and Sue together will be on a panel on how to address toxic fan culture. If you are able to go or are interested in coverage after the fact, keep an eye on Women at Warp's social media channels. They are womenatwarp.com and Women at Warp, all one word, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. In Star Trek Discovery's penultimate episode for this season, Such Sweet Sorrow, we were treated to a closer look at the USS Enterprise, both inside and out. Star Trek Discovery production designer Tamara Deverell, who was tasked with reimagining the iconic Enterprise set, took a well-deserved victory lap with the media to discuss the process of bringing the Enterprise into, or back into, the 21st century. Talking to Sci-Fi Wire, Deverell explained that Enterprise Red, the color accent along the terminals and railing, caused her fits. Quote, There is a distinct Enterprise Red. I actually took that color from the CBS archives, and it was orange. In certain episodes of TOS, the red became more of an orange. I went insane looking at different color tests. It's red, but in canon, it's also orange. In the end, I think it was fine and everyone was happy. End quote. But the problem is... It's Enterprise Red. Quote, Georgiou says orange, but in my mind, it's a shade of red. I mean, it's an orangey red. When I saw that line in the script, I was worried. I got in touch with the writers and said, maybe she should be saying red and not orange. But that didn't really work. It's funnier to say orange, end quote. Deverell reiterated the Enterprise Red talk with StarTrek.com, as well as discussing updating the design, saying, quote, There are actually variations of the red-orange in the Enterprises. That's very distinct, and I went through the archives at CBS to look at those colors and try and match them, but in a new way. We were bringing in the Discovery feel, but also using materials and methods of building it that were new to us, like metal powder coating. Metal pieces that are powder coated create a really rich color and strong basis to build the set. We experimented with it on the Enterprise, and I think we're going to use it more in Star Trek. It looks more like a ship than just using wood and plaster, end quote. The set was also a possibility for Discovery Season 1. She said, quote, There was always a strong desire to build the interior. I actually started designing the interior of the Enterprise in Season 1. There was some thinking that the writers wanted to use those interiors earlier, but then we revealed the Enterprise at the end of Season 1. Starting the design work way back then was a good thing, because when we came to the end of Season 2, they actually had concept illustrations and most of the bridge of the ship worked out, end quote. Deverell also revealed that the sets were fully built, no green screens, and the gumdrop buttons were provided by James Cawley. The Star Trek superfan responsible for Star Trek Phase 2 slash New Voyages and the Star Trek original series set tour. Check out the show notes for a link to the articles. We will get to this more in our on-screen segment, Mm -hmm. but I have to say, one of the most impressive interpretations of that era of Star Trek was that Enterprise Bridge, in my opinion. I, like, I saw that and I said, that is what the Kelvin timeline should have looked like. That is what the Kelvin Enterprise should have been, right? You know, we all had our criticisms and our judgments of the JJ Enterprise, the Kelvin timeline Enterprise, 
and how far of a departure it took from the original concept. But this looks like what I envision Gene Roddenberry would have said, yeah, this is great in 2019 with all the money and all the special effects at his disposal. So I, I sympathize with Tamara Deverell and this issue of what a color looks like on screen versus in reality is, a, is like a real problem that people have when they're trying to match things. Way back when I used to work for a company that used to make towels. And it was fascinating because when you try to match a towel set, you don't think about this, but the material materials that you use for different sizes of towels are slightly different. So when you use the same color dye for four different sizes of towels, they actually end up looking different colors. So it's entirely possible that there was a distinct color of red that they painted on metal, wood, plaster that ended up being different colors on screen because of different lighting different film, different, just the material that they were painted on. So it's it's kind of an interesting examination of this that she was having trouble figuring out what that color actually was because we all take it as Enterprise Red. You totally nerded out about this when we were criticizing them for spending thousands of dollars oh, on, on the, the blue material. Colors. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I do because I do. It's fascinating. It's not, it's one of those things that you never think about unless you have, have some reason to be firsthand with it. But I think artists probably have that issue, you know, color matching something on your screen, for instance, to a piece of art that gets printed out or printed on a t-shirt, for instance. I don't know. It, whatever. It's a nerdy, cool thing. Go and Google it. It's fun. It's actually been a Star Trek issue since day one because the command uniforms were actually an olive green that looked yellow on screen. So that kind of thing is has always been an issue with TOS. Yeah, I guarantee that if you put, put one of the original series tunics up next to one of the Discovery gold tunics, they would, like, in real life, I bet they look completely different. Right, not even close. Yeah. Fabric nerds! <laughs> <laughs> Well, Tamara Deverell wasn't the only Discovery team member excited about the newest iteration of the classic Enterprise Bridge. In a Moments of Discovery Star Trek promo, Rebecca Romaine and Anthony Rapp talked about the set and their experiences with it. Rebecca Romaine, who plays number one, said of the experience, quote, Man, stepping on the Enterprise set was a real pinch-me-undreaming moment. I mean, it was something I had watched on TV as a child and I couldn't believe I was sitting there and I actually didn't even take the time to get up and stand at the front of the set where the windshield is and turn around and really take it in. I think it was like I was working on it for three days straight before I actually took the time to stand up and see what the whole crew was looking at. And when I looked back, I was like, this is happening. I just can't, I couldn't believe it. Fantastic. Rap also talked about his feelings about the set saying, it's, it's a beautifully modernized, but still, um, respectful iteration of the iconic bridge that we, we know so much. Rap goes on to mention that it has better lighting than 60s television, but is easily recognizable. For a link to the video, be sure to check out the show notes. It was certainly shinier. It was shinier. <laughs> it was, Maybe yeah. we'll talk about oh, it more and on screen. Yeah. It was like, has nobody ever had to like try and polish like a, a shiny piece of Ikea furniture? Like, have you ever had one of those glo <laughs> like high gloss fingerprints pieces. everywhere it is a pain and i'm fairly certain like i respect you know to 23rd century scientists who have invented the stuff that is perfectly shiny and not at all fingerprinty at, at any time <laughs> look man if we <laughs> were able to invent warp drive i'm certain that somebody had to have invented fingerprint retardant glossy coating 
Star Trek Discovery Season 2 scribe and Season 3 co-showrunner Michelle Paradise went to the Ready Room to converse with Ready Room host Naomi Kyle. 47-year-old actress, writer, producer, and now showrunner Paradise talked about the reason Season 2 and Such Sweet Sorrow was extended, saying... It was originally just supposed to be one episode. So we had 13 episodes for the season, and then in trying to wrap up all the storylines and all the mythology, we developed the story, and the story was huge, Mm -hmm. and the outline was huge, and and we realized it's not one episode of television. This is a full-on movie. It is, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and in order to do everything justice that we wanted to do, including all of the really great character moments that we wanted to have so fortunately our network partners said yes have fun with another episode and so we did yeah in regards to writing season two's big bad control paradise said it's really interesting we were trying to do that you know the for lack of a better word the ai that kind of does its own thing is is something that has appeared in sci-fi before and we were looking for a way to do that that would be unique to our show Mm -hmm. and organic to our show and that would challenge our characters in a very specific way and over the course of the season just finding ways to make that character and that entity formidable was really was one of the things that we were challenged by and Mm -hmm. excited to do. In talking about Discovery's tonal shift from season one to season two, Paradise mentioned... Coming into the season, it was really an opportunity to kind of find ways to lighten the tone a little bit, to have our characters have a little bit more fun. You know, that's, I I think that kind of tonal shift was exciting. That's something that Alex is is always looking to do is, is, can we infuse some fun into this moment amidst the adventure and drama and cool action and awesome science <laughs> all of that stuff it feels like that's that's the stuff that we got to play in a lot more this season and it was it was really fun to be part of I really enjoyed it yeah. Paradise also talks about the Enterprise sets Rebecca Romaine's number one Poe's return writing for Pike and Spock her history with Star Trek and she showered praise on the cast and crew and teased the finale there will be cake it was a fun high energy interview so be sure to check out the link for the full episode will it be cellular peptide cake <gasps> I hope so. That's the best kind of cake with mint frosting. Yes. Redditor The Butter Phantom, cool name, bro, (laughs) is a fan of the TV show SWAT, but in their sleuthing for information about their favorite show, came across an interesting post about potential production development surrounding the new Picard series. A since-removed Instagram post led some Reddit detectives on a chase towards Production Weekly which showed the production name for the Picard series may be titled Drawing Room or Crosby Street, slated to start filming like Meow. Even Sir Patrick Stewart shared a picture on his Twitter account with an envelope inscribed with rehearsal scenes. In other Crosby Street news, a TrekMovie.com exclusive interview with fan favorite Jonathan Frakes revealed that the bearded actor-director would be behind the camera for two consecutive episodes, or the, quote, second block, end quote, of the series, episodes three and four. Looks like production is now well underway. Yeah, so it's interesting in that interview with Jonathan Frakes, he talks about the way that they're setting up the recording of of the Picard show. It's going to be 10 episodes long, and I think we've already heard that it's going to be like a 10-hour long movie. But they're actually recording it in blocks, and I don't know whether that means we're going to have five two-parters or something like that, but the first two are being directed by Hanel Culpepper, and the second two are being directed by Jonathan Frakes. So we at least know more or less the the way that the first four episodes are going to go, and they haven't announced anything 
beyond that. I don't know whether that's a normal thing to do, to do that in pairs, but it certainly seems interesting. And like you just said, they're they're supposed to start filming any day now. So we'll probably know sooner than later. I can't imagine that the filming despite the directors coming in in blocks, will be disjointed, or rather the final production be disjointed. In other words, like, part one is two episodes, part two... Like, I don't think we'll feel that. I think this is more a behind-the-scenes production technique. Right, and I get the impression from the interview that this is something new that they are trying, but Frank seems pretty comfortable with it. And I kind of like that, right? Because sometimes when there's a new director and or a different director for every episode... Or one director comes in for the start of a season and then doesn't come back until mid-season or the end of season. Sometimes you can see that. You can you can you notice mm. that it's disjointed a little bit. I would say that I noticed that more uniquely in season two of Discovery than I did in season one, where some episodes in season two had a much different cinematic feel than some of its other episodes this season. Yeah, totally agree. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. Now let's find out what's happening in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Captains, we are joined this week by Admiral Cat from the Priority One Armada, filling in for both Winters and Anthony. Cat, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Thanks for having me. You and the team do a phenomenal job on Saturday nights uh, during the Twitch live stream, so uh, it's it's a real pleasure to have you. Thanks so much. Yeah, we love doing Saturday night streams. It's so fun. All right, let's jump right in. In the Star Trek Online featured TFO Operation Repost, Starfleet goes on the offensive during the Klingon Federation War. Recently, the planet, Pryor's World, was conquered by the Klingons. The Federation counterattack aims to not only retake the planet, but also deliver a major defeat to the Klingons, hopefully injecting a much-needed morale boost to Starfleet forces. This five-player mission will also be the first story tease for the upcoming Rise of Discovery content launching next month. Completing Operation Repost daily 14 times will earn you not only the standard featured TFO rewards, but also the Pryor's World Elite Defense Satellite Universal Console. This event also kicks off a major event lasting until fall of 2019. Participating in the next series of featured TFOs daily, starting with Operation Repost, will reward players with 50 coupon progress tokens. Earning 3,000 tokens will allow you to run a reputation project for a 100% discount coupon for a tier 6 starship from the Zen store, a ship you would normally have to pay money for, or convert Dilithium into Zen. Operation Repost is live in-game now and will last for three weeks. Have you had a chance to play it yet? I did. I played it last night. How is it? I actually enjoyed it, though I, I guess some people were saying it takes too long, but I don't think it takes any longer than some of the other TFOs, but it does go in like six stages, so you've got, you know, satellites you have to do things with and, you know, kill a bunch of a bunch of enemies, so it's actually, I, I enjoyed it, though, you know, I like when they release new content, and I'm pretty excited about the earning, you know, tokens for free ships. Oh, and speaking of, to kick things off, for the first progress token weekend, um, it's a bonus token weekend. So this weekend, until Monday, April 22nd, participating in the featured TFO daily will grant you double the coupon progress token. Instead of normal, the normal 50 tokens, will receive 100. For details on this TFO, the Universal Console Reward, and the free Tier 6 ship event, check out the show notes. 
So what's what's the general consensus regarding the this new progress, right? Getting a coupon for a hundred percent off tier six. What's what's the buzz around the Amara? <laughs> the buzz I've heard is most people are definitely excited. Who doesn't want you know to earn a free ship? I mean, I think most people jump at the chance to earn free things, and a lot of our members in the Armada are full free to play, so they don't want to spend any money. This is a great way for them to get the you know Zen store ships that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get unless they're grinding you know dilithium for Zen. You know, interestingly enough, though. I am finding it hard to want to get into the game to play these TFOs. I would much rather get in and play a new story arc mission. And it's been what was it, what was what was the oh. last story arc mission that we had? That you know, it's been a while. So maybe when the season premiere of Discovery, when we got Para Paysum, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, and the Illusion of Communication episodes. I think well, those were in you know January when Discovery premiered. So we're due for a new, you know, story mission. Right. Yeah, it's just, you know, I know that Al has said, and they've been very vocal about trying to do some kind of addition to the game content-wise, at least monthly. But I'm starting to wonder if, I'm starting to, I'm, I'm curious who their audience is to get people back into the game, right? Because as a fan of both Star Trek and Star Trek Online, you know, I yeah, I like to log in and I like to blow things up. But I also really appreciate Star Trek Online's storytelling. So I, I hope that I hope that it doesn't keep taking four months between missions and that what we get in, in between are, are TFOs. Not to say that the, the TFOs are bad, but I feel like a, the, the TFO should complement a mission, should complement something that moves the story forward. Yeah, and I feel like there was a method behind that, maybe because of the ramp-up period for you know Age of Discovery and getting all of that settled maybe they were trying to provide some new content while they were working out some additional you know storyline missions speaking about enticing players in star trek online just in time for our friday publication cryptic just announced that all tier six ships will soon be scalable that means that once you've completed the tutorial for your respective faction you will be able to start flying a tier six starship Starships that were previously only available upon reaching level 50 or above. Of course, the caveat to this is that you will be flying one of those tier 6 ships with reduced stats until you reach the appropriate level. Additionally, the standard ship equipment that usually comes with new ships will also become scalable. Yeah, so they've already been doing this with some of the ships like the Prototype Walker, the Mirror Universe uh, Angle, the Shran. Testing this system out. Have you played any of these tier six ships from a, a new character level from a new character well that's a sticky subject for me because i've been trying to avoid making a new character since i have 36 but now i'm kind of tempted because from what i've heard from other people that have started new characters that they really enjoy not having to change out ships every 10 levels and sticking with one ship and just working on your build as you level up is appealable to to a lot of players, I think if you've got, you know, multiple characters that being able to work with one ship as you level up, I I'm I'm tempted and I'm probably am going to have to create a new character now to try it out. You know, and I think from a marketing perspective too, that entices perhaps some of the you know, the ship aficionados, right? The the people who you know, may not have tried Star Trek online before and they're like, wait, I can't fly an enterprise until I'm level you know, until I right. play for for several weeks or, or a bunch of hours. Now you can log in, do the tutorial in, in your little Miranda, 
and then immediately swap it out and start flying your Enterprise. You know, your yeah. your, your Galaxy class or your Sovereign or whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Some people don't really like to switch ships and switch equipment. And, you know, as you level up, it does interrupt your flow if you're leveling and you want to just keep doing story missions. But, you know, you have to go and change it to another ship and switch out all your gear. So if you didn't have to do that, I think it keeps you... You know, in the mindset, if you're playing story missions and you can just go all the way through and not have to worry about changing ships. But the other side of that is, you know, if you're a brand new player and you don't even know what kind of ship you want to fly yet, you might, you know, not realize that there are other ships you can try out. You know, if you say you're in a cruiser, but you didn't realize, hey, maybe I might like to fly escorts. But this still gives you the option, so you can go and tr you know change a ship at any level at any point if you want to try something else out. So I think it's just a benefit. I mean, it just gives you more options. Yeah. Okay, patch notes on PC this week. We have seen a change to the overflow bag. I noticed this last night, that it has received a UI update. Uh, it's now laid out in the same grid view as the regular inventory. And more importantly, it automatically opens when you open your inventory and you have items in your overflow bag. I know sometimes you don't even notice if you have items in your overflow bag till you check when you can't collect something in-game. Um, so that's really handy. Um, also this week, the buff ability, Chemocyte-laced weaponry, has received a damage increase to bring it up to expected performance. Also, the personal trait innocuous has received an increase to crit severity. So I think, yeah, that will really help some people out. I've noticed, though, yeah, Mechemocyte didn't seem to be working as it had been previously. So I'm glad they have addressed that issue. And in console patch notes, Pavo Dissension, the featured ground TFO part of Mirror of Discovery, is now available. Running this TFO daily 14 times will earn you the Crystal Prism Universal Kit module. The Mirror Crossfield Science Destroyer Research and Development Pack promotion has also begun. You can get your chance to win the Mirror Crossfield. But if you also buy those R&D packs, you get either 10 Lobby Crystals or a, uh, and an R&D pack or the Special Requisition Pack for your choice of a Tier 6 promotional ship, which also includes the Mirror Universe Crossfield. And finally, the update reducing cooldowns on combat pets and distress calls has arrived reducing the cooldown from five minutes to two minutes. For links to both set of patch notes, check out the show notes. And a few events that you want to make sure are... And now moving on to some events in Star Trek Online that you're going to want to add to your calendar. Next weekend, from April 25th to April 29th, there will be a Dilithium bonus weekend and an upgrade weekend. So you can earn extra Dilithium, and if you want to upgrade some items for those new fancy tier six ships that you will be flying now at level one, it'll cost you less to upgrade those items. Also, there's a junior officer weekend scheduled for May 2nd to May 6th. Earn bonus commendation XP for your duty officer assignments. And now moving over to console events, captains can gain bonus R&D school XP along with receiving additional R&D materials during the research and development weekend, happening now until Monday, April 22nd. In Armada news, for the second straight year, the Priority One Armada has phase-shifted into the Mirror Universe for the month of April. We have changed the name of Priority One Armada to Priority One Empire and have been conducting ourselves as Terrans do. Imperial Intelligence has learned Admiral Lita and a sizable portion of the Terran fleet has decided to challenge our entry into their realm. Emperor Summers and his loyal Lords of the Admiralty 
will lead our forces to victory over Admiral Lita and the Terran Empire. To ensure our victory, your leaders have planned some special events and giveaways. For the entire month of April, loyal officers of the Empire will have a chance to win a Tier 5 Mirror Ship. One ship will be awarded to a loyal officer every day. All you have to do to win is be logged into any Priority 1 Federation or KDF fleet. This giveaway is open to Armada members from rank of Lieutenant to Captain. Make sure you do not miss Priority 1 Empire Live every Saturday night in April. This year's viewers will have a chance to enter into a drawing for a Tier 6 Styx Terran Dreadnought Cruiser, which will be given away on April 27th. Yeah, the thing about that Styx Cruiser is it's not just the ship that you get, you get the full build. It's pretty amazing. We've done get weapons. Out of here. Yeah, it's a full build. Weapons, consoles, everything is upgraded to Mark 15, and most everything is epicked out already for whoever. What? Yeah, it's, um, I don't, we've never given away something like this before, so we're pretty excited. That's awesome. You should definitely tune in on April 27th, though, so we will fight the final battle against Admiral Lita and the Terran Empire. Visit our Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash priority one. And we would like to thank all the following members who donated all the prizes to make our Empire Month possible. Captain Shadeslayer, Vice Admiral Bulls, Vice Admiral Nikki, Vice Admiral Mark, Vice Admiral Panzer, Admiral Hunter, Admiral James, Admiral Rikers, and myself. But if you want more information about Empire Month or Priority One Armada in general, visit our website at PriorityOneArmada.com. Long live the Priority One Empire. And lastly, in other gaming news, after receiving feedback from the beta test, Star Trek Timelines has launched its campaign features as of April 18th. And just in time for the Season 2 finale of Star Trek Discovery, the first campaign will be Section 31 themed. The available crew rewards for this inauguration will be Section 31 Georgiou and Captain Leland. Star Trek Timeline is also having a 50% off crew slot sale from now until Monday, April 22nd. Well, that's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's see what's on screen in the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 2 Episode 13. Such sweet sorrow... On screen. On screen. The crew of Discovery begin departing for the Enterprise in advance of the ship's destruction. Burnham, meanwhile, takes one last moment with the time crystal, touching the mysterious stone and exposing herself to its effects. She sees disorienting images of destruction. She exits the experience with a gasp and heads for the Enterprise. On the bridge of the legendary USS Enterprise, the crew watch as the countdown to Discovery's remote auto-destruct ticks down to zero. And nothing happens. Pike orders the Enterprise to arm, then fire photon torpedoes, but again, there is no effect. Discovery has raised its shields. Michael gets lightheaded, and when she orients herself, she is back aboard Discovery. It isn't good. Explosions on Discovery, a torpedo in the Enterprise hull, and Leland is back. He assassinates the Discovery crew one by one before finding Michael and ending her vision with a bang. Well, maybe a pew-pew. Michael reorients and she is back on the Enterprise, Pike giving the order to arm photon torpedoes. Realizing that the time crystal has given her a vision, she stops Pike and explains that the sphere data is protecting itself on Discovery. It would be wise to discuss options. The crew decide their best course of action is to catapult the sphere data into the future on Discovery herself, using a refabricated angel suit piloted by Burnham to pull the ship through time. 
but the crystal needs to be charged. Finding an answer proves difficult, but Spock surmises that Michael, acting as a second angel, will use another red burst to beckon them. And she does. Discovery and Enterprise head for the newly lit signal, located near the planet Zahia, the home of Tilly's friend, Queen Mihani Ikahali Kapo, or, you know, Poe. The Wonderkind Queen is happy to help charge the crystal and devises a plan using the spore drive. But there are a couple of catches. It will render the spore drive useless for 12 hours. Damn, that's a long cooldown. I don't want that console in Star Trek Online. It'll make the trip to the future a one-way endeavor. The bridge crew of Discovery, Spock, and Lieutenant Nan inform the surprised Burnham that they will go with her, staying on Discovery as she leads the ship hurtling into the future. She will not go alone. No is not an option. The time leading to Leland's arrival is filled with goodbyes, both in person and recorded. But there's also a problem. The time crystal is charging slower than expected. The cage built to protect the engineers from the effects of the crystal have impeded its ability to charge. The cage must be removed. Jet Reno clears the room and removes the cage, exposing herself to the future and the same visions Burnham had before. Section 31 has arrived. The two hero ships are surrounded. Pike tells the Enterprise crew their job is to protect Burnham until she makes the jump. Saru orders the crew to prepare for battle until the end. All right, let's talk about some of the touchstones that were exposed to us this episode. I mean, the one that was the the massive slap in the face, of course, was the Enterprise bridge. Not a slap in the face. That implies that, like, it was a problem, but no way. No, the Enterprise sets, the Enterprise bridge were amazing. Amazing. Yes. So, you know, I, we talked a little bit about this in After Hours. This is my pro for this episode. Their attention to the redesign, not even redesign, to the updated 2019 version of the Enterprise Bridge was meticulous and honorable. Yes. If that's the right way to use mm-hmm. that word. Yeah. It brought it into the future while also um, paying honor to the original design. Exactly. Whereas, by comparison, the Kelvin Enterprise was... A redesign. A complete redesign mm-hmm. and such uh, a departure to what visual aesthetics of Star Trek had been for, you know, 40 years. I also want to just quickly compare it to Star Wars, the other Star series, uh, which the, the, all of the new iterations of Star Wars that have come out in the in the past couple of years, they actually have taken the opportunity to not update at all any of the technology. You know, they've updated it in-universe a little bit, but, like, the newer, um, the newer technology looks exactly the same as it did in the 70s. So it's different from both of those things and I personally think more effective. So I t- I've talked about this. I've actually made that comparison before, right? When when Discovery first released, I made the comparison about why is it that Star Wars can hold on to some of the aesthetic designs that they've used for technology in the past, and why couldn't that have been applied to Star Trek, both in the J.J. Calvin timeline and, and, and a bit in Discovery. But here, what we saw was just a remarkable, creative way of bringing a 1960 set into 2019 without completely ignoring the design that was already established. This was just a, an homage 
to that 60s set. And so well designed, so well crafted. Kudos to that team. Kudos to that team. Because when I saw it, I, my jaw just dropped in, in awe. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed to say that when I first saw it, I liked it. I didn't love it. But on subsequent rewatches, I think I've watched this episode about three or four times now. I like it. And every time I watch it, I like it more. And now I'm at the point where I don't... <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I didn't. I mean, it is beautiful in every way. The lighting is perfect. The small touchstones like the, the jelly bean buttons from the... Right. The, uh, the original series set tour in Ticonderoga, all of the little details they got right down to, like we talked about in Trek It Out, the down to the Enterprise Red. Everything is just perfect. Yeah, I absolutely loved what they did. So, Elijah, you've kind of blown what your uh, pro was there for the end of the segment. Should we should we take a step backwards and, and talk a little bit about what we didn't like? Um, sure, sure. Um, I'll go first. If that's okay. Um, yeah, my, my biggest con with this episode was that this was most certainly a filler episode. Uh, this was a long goodbye that I was just not invested in. And I think that, you know, we talked a little bit about this in After Hours. Burnham's self-sacrifice or decision to sacrifice herself, I feel has been a bit lessened in the way her character has been treated this season. You know, this was marketed as being Burnham's journey. Right. This was this was us going up. This was not about Spock. This was not supposed to be about Pike. Season one and season two was about what it is to be in Burnham's shoes. That definitely got lost with the introduction of Spock. Right. It became the where Spock in the first part of the season to what Spock doing in in that in, when he was finally introduced to now where Cybok. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it just I, her, so her her self sacrifice feels a little shallow to me, because she's been removed. She's been removed from her character has been removed from the spotlight a bit this whole season to make room for some of these bigger characters. So this whole long goodbye thing just it dragged for me. It dragged for me a bit too long, and it halted the great pacing that we had in the last two episodes, right? The forward momentum of this plot just all of a sudden came to a screeching halt because we had to go around and say goodbye to everybody. I suspect that was actually some filler because if you recall, we heard from Michelle Paradise saying that this wasn't, this was a little bit longer than one episode, so they split it into two. I suspect there was a little bit of filling going on, this being um, part one. What was difficult for me to kind of swallow with all of those elongated scenes was that they had all of the hallmarks of like a really perilous, threatening situation for these characters, this real emotional drama, except that the peril was not real. So we know that there's a series three of Star Trek Discovery that has all the same stars back. We know that uh, that uh, the Enterprise doesn't get destroyed. We know that Spock will survive and carry on. So uh, the peril is kind of manufactured. So when we see all of the bridge crew get executed one by one, it feels vulgar and torturous. Um, it, like they're torturing those characters for our entertainment uh, rather than kind of taking us on a journey with them. Uh, that really bothered me, actually. Uh, it bothered me probably more than it was intended to. That was my big con. Also, pose eyelids, why were they so loud? <laughs> 
but it was very loud. <laughs> but yeah, very that's loud. A, that. That was mainly it. I don't feel as though they earned the emotional response that they were trying to get out of me. Speaking of sound effects, look, I would have been a okay with the retractable moorings and the retractable tubing things. I would have been a okay with that. I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, right, I can. I can dig that. I, that's all right. That you know it. it they, <laughs> but what really pulled me out of that was the like the they googled ratchets sounds that ratchets make <laughs> and used that as the as that mooring connected and it was just this default ratchet sound check 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 like going into a going up a roller coaster that it just took me so out of it so far out of it that's that moment where it could have been cool but then the sound messed it all up. <laughs> totally messed it up. So, so Jake, what, what about you? What, what did you like least about this episode? Okay, so I want to lead with my opinion has never been heard. So just to be clear, I love Discovery. I'm a big Discovery fan. So anything I say as a con is just... But I, I have a tendency to, to agree with both of you in that the emotional scenes just weren't there. It was. It felt very forced, very manufactured. Why was Sarek and Amanda there? Because he felt a disturbance in the force. I, I right. He knew exactly where. I mean, I don't understand Katra. I got to study up on my Kling, my Vulcan Katra science a little bit, but uh, it seemed a little bit silly. And they were gone really fast too. They did. They were there to say goodbye, and then they left. It's just. It seemed like it was forced drama. I know. Like, why did it? Why didn't they come with another Vulcan ship to help something, back them up? Something. Anything. Yeah. Something. Maybe something's wrong. We can't get in touch with the ship. Let's bring somebody with us. They show up. They show up with with a ship, and then they're like, "Peace out. Yeah. Have fun fighting." Yeah. Oh, don't go. Okay, you're gonna go. Here's why I actually loved that scene is because of the costume design. Um, and bear with me. So if you watch that scene over again, take special note of Sarek's tunic. He's got some beautiful embroidery on the neckline that is actually embroidered Vulcan script going down the side of his neck, and it's absolutely stunning. Now, one could argue that was that really necessary for someone to do, but um, it totally took my mind off the ridiculousness of that scene. And and when they kept going like, you and your one son took me in. (laughs) Your one son. Um, Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's it's something to watch out for anyway is my point. It's funny because one of my favorite scenes was also one of my least favorite scenes, uh, the scene where Pike was leaving the bridge. It was, I thought it was really touching. It It was hard to watch because I'm a huge Anson Mount fan. I love Christopher Pike, both prior to and now, more so now. But it just went on so long. He had to say everybody's name and call them all out. Even the girl who showed up like two episodes ago after Arium died, like we could have skipped Arium 1.0. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. We could have we could have skipped that. Uh, the scenes where everybody's writing home to their families or their friends. We didn't have to see all of that. I think that it, some of it was just overplayed. Here's a question for you. Um, so this show is being shown on CBS All Access, which is a streaming service. So we're not necessarily constrained by the requirements of terrestrial television. Why do you think they didn't just make it an hour and a half long episode? 
You know, it, that's a great game. because what what I think we actually got was an episode that's probably just a little longer. Maybe it's an hour and a half long, and they've broken it up into two hour long episodes um, and put a bunch of filler in in this one to kind of bulk it up so it was two full ones. Why didn't they just say, okay, it's going to be a sixty five minute long episode instead of forty eight? That's a great question. They really should have. So what did we like about this episode? Now, I, I will say right off the bat that really the only nice thing I have to say about this episode was the set design and the bridge design for the Enterprise, uh, and I've already gushed about that. So I will give it off to you both to talk about what you enjoyed most about this episode. Well, for me, this this episode is clearly um, an emotionally heavy episode. There's a lot of goodbyes. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. There's a lot of, um, you know, uh, technical scientific drama going on as well. You know, we're trying, we're setting us up for the finale finale. Um, but despite that, there were a lot of moments that were sort of light. There was a levity to the writing in this episode that really that reminded me actually of TNG a little bit. So it was very serious situations, but they had these cute little moments. Like, I love the way that Poe just completely dismissed Giorgio, which I reckon that she has not been dismissed like that in like 30 years. And the last time somebody did, she probably ate their eyeballs for dinner you know so like I, I just I love that little interplay and, and again with Giorgio when they were in the ready room talking about their ideas and she's like well we'll just blow up a perfectly good star and everyone's like that is a terrible idea um, you know those kind of things um, and Tilly Tilly's little you know her excited performance and her interactions with Poe I mean um, these were actually probably the most believable parts of the episode and drew me into it and brought me along with the action. The the darker, depressing parts kind of lost me a little bit, but the parts where we were able to go a little bit lighter, I think, speak really well and make me optimistic for our next adventure on the Discovery. Yeah, agreed. I, 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 again, I echo your comments in that I think the comedy in this episode was was well played because it wasn't overstated, but it was uh, it was obvious. Um, but it was fun. We talked about it in Trek It Out with the orange, Ugh, orange, you know, the uh, <laughs> where. So after Giorgio gets this, she hands the um, the bowl of ice cream to Tilly and says, "This get this vial, you know, whatever, out of here." That was a lot of fun. I I liked Poe. I think Poe is a interesting character. Mm-hmm. I may not feel that way going forward if she st- I, and I think she will. I believe she'll stay on the on the crew um, because I believe they'll go to the future and I believe they'll st- they'll stay there. So and I think she's going with them. Mm-hmm. So I think she's a better um, a better outsider than than say like a uh, Neelix, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, more along the lines of like a Quark. That interplay between her and Jet Reno was really cute as well. I thought it was a really good mm-hmm. example of um, positive female representation on screen because here's two women that are just such experts at what they do. They know exactly what's happening and everyone else in the room is just like, we don't. And it was unapologetic and it was just, it was what it was. And I thought it was a great piece of um, female representation. And just that simple line where they both look at each other and yep. I like you. And then, and it was very genuine. It was well played. It was a really great exchange. Yeah, I totally agree. And I like the exchange between Jet Reno and uh, Stamets at the end, when you know he recognizes what she's doing is selfless, and and he says, you know, I still don't like you. There was a lot of great 
small interactions like that that were really well well done, well written, well acted. Well, that wraps up our review of Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1, the penultimate episode for Star Trek Discovery Season 2. Now, let's look up to the stars with an astrometrics report by Dr. Robert Hurt. For this week's astrometric support, we're going to discuss a picture, one that you've likely all seen by now, that was pulled from the very edge of space-time itself. I'm of course talking about the now-famous first-ever image of a black hole, taken by the Event Horizon Telescope. This isn't a single facility, but a collaboration between eight different radio observatories spanning the globe. Through a process called radio interferometry, they are able to combine datasets collected independently in a way that together they function like a single giant radio dish the size of our planet itself. That allowed astronomers to create a radio image that was over 2,000 times sharper than the sharpest image ever obtained by the Hubble Space Telescope. That's like sticking an entire HD movie frame into every pixel of a Hubble image. But that's what was needed to produce the deceptively simple image released last week, showing a red ring with a dark circle at its center. That dark center is the gravitational shadow cast by the black hole and its surrounding event horizon, a region from which light can never escape. Of course, we wouldn't have seen anything at all if the black hole had not been surrounded by what is called an accretion disk a swirling flat disk of material spinning around the black hole, superheated by its own internal frictions, gradually losing orbital energy to that and eventually falling into the black hole itself. The image from the Event Horizon Telescope shows us the inner edge of that accretion disk, just outside the gravitational region of no return. You may have noticed that half of the disk is brighter than the other half. This is an effect that would be expected due to the relativistic effects of a disk of material rotating very close to the speed of light. The part of the disk approaching us would appear brightened by the effect, while the part of the disk rotating away from us would be proportionally dimmed. It's worth noting that in the movie Interstellar, famous for showing a computer model of what an accretion disk around a black hole would look like based on the actual gravitational physics of the light bending properties of a black hole, the director chose to leave out this asymmetric brightening of the rotating material because he felt it might be too confusing for audiences. Which is really a shame, because if we'd seen it in the movie, it might have been a little easier to explain what we see in the actual image. Of course, another big difference between the computer simulation we saw in Interstellar and this actual new image is that in the movie, the disk we saw was nearly edge-on, passing both in front of the black hole in the foreground and getting warped around its outer edge in the background. But in the case of this new image, we're looking at a disk that is almost face-on to us, so it retains a more simple circular shape. Now I'd be remiss if I didn't spend a little time talking about the properties and location of this black hole. In fact, this image is peering into the very heart of a distant galaxy known as Messier 87 at a distance of about 55 million light years from us. That's about 20 times further away than the Andromeda galaxy. It's classified as a giant elliptical galaxy, largely because of its nearly featureless spherical distribution of stars, lacking the familiar spiral arms and structures seen in galaxies like our own Milky Way. 
And even though its physical size is only a little bit bigger than the Milky Way, it seems to have literally 100 times our galaxy's mass. It sits near the center of a very large association of galaxies known as the Virgo Cluster. Such giant ellipticals are thought to have built up over billions of years for the continuous process of merging galaxies, gobbling up one after another, blending their stars together into a kind of giant stellar smoothie. Now each of these galaxies is thought to have had a massive black hole at its center as well, and eventually these would all migrate together and merge together one after another, creating an increasingly supermassive black hole at this conglomerate center. This kind of black hole merger at a much smaller scale is what the LIGO instrument has been detecting over the last few years. The new image from the Event Horizon Telescope has helped astronomers weigh the black hole at the center of Messier 87. Their conclusion? It comes in at about 6.5 billion times the mass of our own sun. Now like I said, we think there are supermassive black holes at the center of most, if not all, galaxies, but the one in Messier 87 appears to be over a thousand times more massive than the one in the center of our own Milky Way galaxy, and that would make this monstrous black hole's event horizon about four times bigger than the full span of Pluto's orbit. I do hope that's enough mind-blowing ideas for one astrometrics report. But if you want to tease of things that may be in the offing, there are a lot of rumors that the Event Horizon Telescope might be producing an image of the supermassive black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy, maybe in the coming months. So stay tuned. And that wraps it up for this week's Astrometrics Report. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Captain's Haley frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 408's community question was, did Pike's decision to take the time crystal from Boreth and doom himself to his future change your opinion or understanding of the character? Why or why not? From Patreon, David S. said, Nope. We knew what happens to Pike was done because he rescued those cadets. So we always knew what his character was capable of. Had he seen his future and said, well, screw that, and left without the crystals, well, now that would have changed my understanding of this character. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. It wasn't it wasn't a huge character moment for me because we already knew that that was his fate. So it was kind of just watching him relive it. I would have liked to see him do something unexpected with that knowledge, though, uh, which they sadly didn't take the opportunity to do. Yeah, but regardless, though, I'm okay with all of that just because of Anson Mount's performance. I'm okay with it just because of Anson Mount's hair. From Twitter, Jake D says, the age-old question of Kirk versus Picard, the answer is now Pike. Oh, that's good. That is good. Yeah. And I gotta say, I disagree. That I think good. that it's, I, I, it did change my mind personally, going back to David S.'s comment. There, there have been times, I'm sure that we can all think of, that we've done something dangerous. If we knew that that dangerous thing, regardless of the selflessness of the, or nature of it, would kill or maim you, would you still do it? Um, Jake, not all of us are firefighters <laughs> no. and have put ourselves in those positions You've before. You've never, so but it, I mean, you know let's what? Say How about you answer that let's question? Say, let's say you ride your bike really fast down a hill <laughs> and you knew if you flipped over the handlebars, you did it. You did it because you really had to get home for dinner. But you knew if you flipped over the handlebars in the future, would you still do that? 
my my issue with that um, choice, which I, I will try and be brief because we talked about it last week, was that he'd actually already made that choice. Number one, by signing up for Starfleet. Number two, by being faced multiple times in this series with his own death and demise and having been told that it's not going to end well. So to ask me to see this as a great character moment for him is a little bit um, beyond logic for me because he'd already confronted that. Any act of service... Any the moment you sign up for it, you know that you're at risk of that theoretically sort of thing. Theoretically, you know that that's the thing, and therefore, therefore that choice you've already made that choice. Well, I don't know. No, I guess it's the I, diff- I mean, no, it's the difference between knowing that you're signing up for something dangerous and then being told that it's definitely gonna today's the day it's really gonna happen, versus not having signed up for anything dangerous and then being told, hey, this is what's happening. I think those two things are very different experiences, and I think a lot of people see his choice as the latter, as in he didn't know he was gonna die, except that for the past like two or three episodes people have been telling him you're gonna die in a really horrible way and then just this way he experienced it face to face no i i definitely didn't feel the latter watching that and i am not a person who serves uh by putting my life on the line in any way shape or form uh but i i did not feel the latter i was not surprised i was not moved by the surprise that he made the choice I was moved by his resolve and his de- and his his commitment and resol- and resolution to sticking to the commitment of being a Starfleet officer mm-hmm. and holding on to his com badge as a totem. Mm-hmm. And from Twitter, Ken from Chicago writes in, for the love of Spock, the whole <laughs> arc this season is about changing time. Preventing the future where control wipes out all sentient life in the galaxy. Why can one future be changed, but not the other? This is the same paradoxical thinking over on The Flash. Stop it. There is no fate. It's it's Klingon time elf magic. <laughs> is why. Yeah, it's special. They do, in fairness to the writers, they do say specifically, Tenevik says specifically, by taking the time crystal, you're sealing your fate. And if you believe that there is a time crystal and that these magical, mystical things, there is a slight distinction between the future that the time crystal shows you and the future that Dr. Burnham had seen many, many times because because that one didn't have mystical Klingon um, time elf magic. Finally, this week we took to Twitter for another hashtag Survey Sunday. This week we asked, who's your favorite Star Trek and a friend? 42% said McCoy Spock, hashtag Dr. Hobgoblin. 2% said Pulaski Data, hashtag It's Data. 37% said Quark Odo, Ears and Buckets. And 19% said Stamets and Reno, Shrooms and Tape. Is it an, is it and a friend or is it frenemy? No, frenemy, I, so I, I did a lot of research on this, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say. Frenemy is somebody who is your enemy pretending to be a friend, and, and a friend is someone who is a friend pre- pretending to be annoyed with you. Ah, uh, okay, I get it, huh. yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You see, I the whole th- this time I'm thinking it was like an enterprise friend thing. I, don't, I was really confused, but now mm-hmm. I know. Jake, seriously, you put so much thought into these uh, survey Sundays and, and the community questions on your social media posts. It's, you're, you're a marvel, <laughs> sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that wraps up episode 409 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, 
visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in our community. Each week, we team up with you to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Skiffy, and Winters. Thanks, Jake, for assisting in the writing of our show and our social media endeavors, and of course, for filling in for Anthony this week. Thanks for having me. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su-no! Engage! Exposing herself to its effects. I'm sorry. <laughs> you wrote exposing yourself. Thanks to our... Gee, don't be so excited. <laughs> Thank you for having me.
<laughs> Thanks to our graphic artist and web. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, golly, Batman, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.